Many of you have read chapter 6 of the story this week as we go through God's larger story as a church family. The sermons each week will come from this week's read, excuse me, will come from that week's reading. This morning's scripture can be found starting on page 74 in the story. This t- that text is from Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am given to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anik there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. We can, surely, we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. That night, all of the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Why is the Lord bringing us to a land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should just choose a leader. We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and we will give it to us. Excuse me, and we'll give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The word of God for the people of God. Cha-cha, thank you so much. My name's Carter Crenshaw. I'm a pastor here. Matt, I want to thank you um, for informing us. I was not aware that there's football outside the SEC. No, I'm for, I think there's some Ohio State fans in this room, so uh, I think you guys are playing great, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun to see how this turns out. It really will. Um, let, me, let, me, let me catch you a little bit up on where we are. If you're new to West End, just delighted to have you, and, and we are walking through the Bible to pick up the narrative theme of the Bible. And really, as, as uh, Laurel and Laurel and Abby, so grateful for you guys. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It really is God's larger story and, and the part that we have to play. And so what we're doing week in and week out is to really look at how this story unfolds. And in summary, there are a number of ways to say it. But in summary, what you'll see in the Bible is God is a God of promises. He makes promises. And one of the, the key promises that he makes to the uh, people in the Older Testament is the promise of a, uh, of a land. He also makes a promise to make them a great nation. He ultimately makes a promise that through the people of Israel, there will be one who blesses the entire world throughout all of history, and he would be Jesus Christ. And so what we saw last week is that the Lord raised up a man named Moses to lead the people of Israel out of the land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. 
He took them to Mount Sinai and gave them the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And now we are, journey, we, we, journey, we are journeying from Mount Sinai to the southern border of the promised land. That's where we are this morning. We're camped with the Israelites right on the border, just below the land that God has promised them. Now to set this up, to let you know what Numbers here is about, the Lord has commanded Moses and Aaron to send 12 representatives of the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel into the land to explore the land, to, to see the land of milk and honey and come back and to report to the people to really strengthen their faith that God's really going to give them this land. And so that's where we are this morning as we think about this passage. Now let me throw out three things. I want you to think about three things as we do this. First, we're going to see God's promise and the call of faith to believe that promise. Secondly, we're going to see if you get your eyes off of God's promises, you'll put them on your circumstances, and ultimately that will lead to fear. But if you keep your eyes, thirdly, if you keep your eyes on God's promise, then ultimately you'll see the perfect love of God, and it will lead to fearlessness. And that's how this passage unfolds. So let's jump in. Look with me first at verses 1 and 2. So God makes the promise here, verse 1, the land, notice what it says, I am giving to the Israelites. It's absolutely essential to see that the land of promise is a gift of God to the people. God's promises are gifts to us. And so he promises that he's going to give the the land to the people. We talked about this before, but I want to remind you that a promise is only as good as the character of the one making that promise. And God's making that promise. One of the best summaries I've ever heard of the character of God is in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question four, who is God? God is the spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And why is that so essential that we know that and that we teach that to our children? Because a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. And to whatever degree you know the living God and you know his character and you know the promises that he makes, That will be to the degree that you have faith in those promises and will really be able to step out in those promises. Now, we looked at last last week, Exodus chapter 34, and one of the phrases used to describe the living God was he is the compassionate and gracious God. In fact, he described himself like that, compassionate and gracious. Now, that word compassionate is very, very important because what it means is at the very core of who God is. He cares deeply about his creation and his creatures. He cares deeply about you and me. No matter where we are, our God is compassionate and he's gracious. Several years ago, I went to Africa. And if you've ever gone to Africa and really not, if you've really gone to Africa and seen the continent, There's so much poverty and there's so much suffering. And we toured so many ministries that are having incredible impact. But I must confess to you, I saw so much poverty and so much suffering that towards the end of the trip, I was done. 
I didn't care anymore. The suffering didn't impact me. The lack didn't impact me. I was completely numb to it all. And I remember going home on the plane, so exhausted from what I later come, came to realize was called compassion fatigue. But I want to tell you something. God never has compassion fatigue. He's compassionate and he's gracious. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he cares deeply and when we think about the promises of God, we've got to know the person of God. We've got to know the promises. And that will enable us to step out on faith. One of the biographies I read several years ago was about a man named George Mueller. And he was a pastor in the United Kingdom probably two centuries ago. And his greatest impact, men and women, was starting an orphanage that he supported strictly by asking God. He never, he never had fundraisers. He never had any sort of um, public uh, plea for money. But he would go to the Lord and ask the Lord to provide for this orphanage. And at his peak, and for many, many years, it had two, at least 2,000 orphans it was taken care of. It had a profound impact. Because this man who trusted the promises of God, here's how his wife described George Mueller, listen to this. I would take this opportunity of remarking that one reason why God has condescended so wonderfully to bless George is that since that time, that early time of his Christian, his Christian conversion, he was enabled unreservedly to surrender himself to the Lord, to believe God, and to take him at his word. Men and women, that's why it's so important that we have a pulpit, that we have classes, that we have Wednesday Bible studies, that constantly preach and teach and proclaim the word of God because the word of God contains the promises of God and it reveals the character of God, which empowers us to have faith in God, to live these days is men and women who are part of an advancing kingdom who can bring transformation. Do you not see? And do we not all not see the terrible things that are going on? There are many blessings. But there's so much idolatry. There's so much trouble. There's so much distress. And now's the time for the people of God to trust the promises of God and walk by faith. A man named Paul put it like this. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet, this is no cause for shame because I know who, whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Men and women, this world is not all there is. Our homes are not here. We're not called to sink down roots here. We're called to be travelers, sojourners just passing through. Yes, we leave a legacy by the grace of God, but we'll leave things behind. This is not all there is, and that's what God promises. And so we live a life of faith, and I want to ask you this question this morning as you're in here. Where in your life right now 
Is God calling you to step out in faith and trust him to take him in his word? Take him in his word. Where is God calling you to take him at his word and move forward? And I want to tell you something. Many of you, many of you are right on the edge of a large step that feels like it's foolish. And yet, it may be the very step step that God would call you to take. Because I want to tell you something. Listen to me carefully. When you step out on the promises of God, you will never step out on something more solid. That's what these people are learn, uh, about to learn in Numbers 13. God offers promises and he calls us to step out on faith. Now look at verse 2. Notice, as they go into the promised land, Moses and Aaron are to see that there's a representative from each tribe in Israel. And the question is, why is that? Well, for a number of reasons, but I want to say the summary reason is this. Men and women, they are about to go as a people. So he, God wants a representative from every tribe so that every tribe can hear from someone that they know intimately, that they can trust the promises of God. Because men and women, this is not about individuals taking a step of faith. This is about a whole community of faith really beginning to believe the promises of God. And it reminded me of what this church is to be about. We're called West End Community Church. We're called to be a community of faith. And why is it so important for us to be a community? Because men and women, if you live in isolation, you will die in isolation. We are in a radically individualized society with things at our fingertips that allow us to to step away from what's real relationship and and have virtual relationships that really lead to isolation. And I can tell you, if you've ever lived in isolation, you know how destructive it is. We're called to live as a community of faith, as the people of God here are called to live as a community of faith. And why is that true? Because we can strengthen each other's faith. There'll be times in your journey with the Lord that you will struggle to believe the promises of God. But if you have a brother or sister next to you who can testify to the faithfulness of God in their own life and call faith out in you, you will be encouraged to take steps that you'd never take alone. Never. I'll never forget when we started Weston Community Church. I needed the faith of my wife who believed God would do something incredible. And in many ways, because of her faith in the promises of God, in the call of God, I stand here with you. That's why it's so important to live in community. Now, if we reject the promises of God, what ends up happening is we'll focus on our circumstances and we'll be consumed with fear. Look at verses 25 and following. Notice, when the men get back, the spies, as the Bible calls them, the the spies get back to report on what they saw on the land. They start out in verse 27 by saying, it does flow with milk and honey. 
Now, that's the exact same phrase that God used with Moses when he described the land of promise in Exodus 3.8. It's a proverbial phrase that basically means productivity and abundance. There's a great book, you guys, if you've ever read it. It's called Un- Un- Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. It's about Lewis and Clark, Mary, Meriwether Lewis, and they, they, uh, that's when they explored the American West in 1807. And listen to how Mary, uh, Meriwether Lewis describes the American West. Listen to the abundance. He says, I sincerely believe that there were not less than 10,000 buffalo within a circle of two miles. Now, two miles is a, a lot. But 10,000 buffalo is a lot more than two two miles would normally uh, be able to feed. What they saw, and you'll see it in uh, Undaunted Courage, what what they saw was a land that was really so, it was so abundant that it ultimately became called the fruited plain. And that's exactly what God is saying here in the land of milk and honey. That it's an incredible land. And notice the spies report, yes, it is the land of milk and honey. And what does that point to? But ultimately, men and women, it points to the promise of God about the Christian life. And yes, the Christian life can involve suffering, but ultimately the Christian life is described at, by Jesus in John 10.10. Listen to how he describes the Christian life. I came that they would have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I call that the 1010 life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of, Scotty was telling us. He's preaching at a Baptist church down near Vanderbilt this morning. And so God bless him and we're praying for him. He was telling us that his wife Darlene is going to her high school reunion. And since I won't confess her age, it was just, uh, you know, one of her high school reunions. And he made this comment. He said, he said, they didn't know her when she came to Jesus. And I've had the same experience. I've gone to a high school or, you know, my high school. I didn't really come to Jesus until well after high school. And uh, I'll never, well... I'll never forget somebody walked up to me at a high school reunion um, that I attended, and they said, you're a pastor? (laughs) I walked right out of the reunion. I was done. (laughs) It was 8 o'clock. I was done. (laughs) The Christian life, listen to how it's described. And everyone who's given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Now, I want to make this clear. This is not, this is not all there is. There's good, there's bad here. But for the follower of Jesus, this is as bad as it gets. And there's a lot of great things. And for the follower of Jesus... When we're in forever, it's more and better than we ever dreamed of. And part of it is being united to people that we love who've gone before us. In fact, I would say that may be the greatest part apart from seeing Jesus. And that's the promise that this land of milk and honey really points to. But I want you to see something tragic. Look closely at verse 28. 
but. Do you see it right there? The people are powerful. The cities are fortified. And if you look at verse 32, there are giants in the land. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Listen, there are giants in everybody's life. You think about the giants in your own life these days. Think about the things that you're up against. And look at the power of but. And the power of but is I'm focused on my circumstances. And I'm not focused on the promises of God. And we don't realize how that can hold us back. And I'm not suggesting we live in denial of tragic circumstances. And there's tragedy that we will all go through, and perhaps you're in the midst of it. I'm not suggesting that we put our heads in the sand. But what I am suggesting is that we, not, that we look beyond our circumstances to the promises of God and a God who's sovereign over our circumstances and will see us through them. But yet, look at these spies. Look at 28 again. But, and I want to ask you, what's the but in your life? I bet you never forget that question. What's the but in your life? Where are you hung up on your circumstances that are keeping you from seeing the promises of God and really walking by faith? And look at verse 30. I've got to tell you here, the, the, the English translation of verse 30 does not do this justice. What the Hebrew is describing here is the people come unglued. They come unglued. And this fear that goes unchecked spreads like wildfire because they're consumed with what they believe are circumstances that they can't possibly live through. And so fear begins to drive them. And I want to ask you this question. What does fear do to your life? When I think about fear, fear makes me angry and controlling. It paralyzes me. And you know what? It makes me want to go back to things that are more familiar and places where I'm more in control that when I go back to, I think that they're better for me instead of moving forward. But in reality, what they are is really, really destructive. And if you'll look at chapter 14, verse 4, as Cha-Cha read it, notice the people, they want to go back to Egypt. And they want a new leader to take them there. And what God is saying here clearly is, trust my promises. Walk in faith. Don't focus on your circumstances. You'll be consumed with fear and you'll end up back in Egypt. God is saying, don't go back to Egypt. Men and women, who needs to hear that this morning? Don't go back to Egypt. Think about your own life. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go backwards. Move forward in the promises of God, no matter what the circumstances are. Let me give you another application, because I think this idea of going back to Egypt points to something much larger. In the Christian life, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia this. He said, 
in chapter 4, because you are his sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you're his child, God made you also an heir. Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to idols. But now you know God, or are rather known by God. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Now, what's he saying here? In context, he's simply saying there are people who've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who are now turning back in their lives. They're turning back to laws and rules as a way to live the Christian life. They're trying to be good people. They've forgotten what it means to really know the Lord Jesus and all that Jesus has done. Men and women, I think that the Christian church in this country, at least much of the Christian church, has gone back to Egypt. And let me tell you why I think we've gone back to Egypt. We're just trying to be good people. We're not going to mess with anybody. We're going to vote a certain way. We're going to insulate ourselves from the culture. We're going to try to raise our children in ways that they're not, they're not tainted by anything or anybody. Men and women, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's kingdom is coming, and it's coming. It's not in doubt. We are sons and daughters of the king of this kingdom. And resting in Christ means that your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. Resting in the Lord Jesus Christ means that you have a declared righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. There's nothing you can do to improve on that righteousness. We can live with freedom and abandon. We don't have to pose and pretend that we've got it all together. We can really be honest with each other. We can repent. We can be a community of faith. We can refuse to live in isolation. We can begin to believe that Jesus really, really does mean to set us free and to lead us to love our enemies. We can really begin to believe he, he will empower us to love our enemies. You guys, are you like me? I'm, I'm like Thomas Jefferson when it comes to that verse. I just take a razor and cut it right out. Do you do that? Do you realize the power of the gospel is to live a life of faith that you can't possibly live on your own? That's the power of the gospel. And that's what God is inviting the Israelites to believe here. Don't go back to Egypt. And so I want to ask you, where, let me ask you this in your life, where are you living out of fear? What are you doing now that's out of fear? Or what are you refusing to do because you're fearful? As followers of Christ, we're called to be people of faith. If your primary emotions are anxiety and, or uncertainty, you're living out of fear. The primary emotions of the follower of Christ Trusting the promises of God, living in faith, peace and joy. That doesn't mean we won't struggle with anxiety and fear. What it means is we'll have a place to go with them. We'll have a place to go with them. That's what that means. And the question, I think, for all of us, 
is ultimately in your life. Think about your life. Are you depending on what you can do with your life or are you resting in what God can do with your life? That's the question. That's what it means to live out of the promises of God, walking in faith instead of focusing on circumstances and being consumed by fear. Now, look where promise and faith take you. Look at verse chapter 13, verse 30. Look at Caleb and Joshua. Look at Caleb's confidence in God's promise. Here's what he says. We can do it. Now, don't be misled. He's not saying we can do it in our own strength. What he's, what he's saying is this, and Caleb is fearless because he knows that God is faithful. And the reason that the Christian can live fearlessly is because God is faithful to his promises. And he will be faithful to us. And Caleb knows that here. Now look at verse chapter 14, verse 5. Aaron and Moses, after there's the, this interchange with the ten spies who ultimately convince the people of a, 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 of a fear that makes them want to go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron hit the deck, if you will, right there in front of the Lord. And, and so Joshua and Caleb are tearing their clothes. And what you see here in 14.5 is simply this. Moses and Aaron, and Aaron are doing something really critical they are standing in the gap between a God who is faithful and a people who are idolatrous and unfaithful. They're standing in the gap and they're pleading with the living God to have mercy on this people. And then Caleb says something really important in verse 8 of chapter 14. He says this, if God is really pleased, he will give us this land. And so the question is, is God pleased? That's the question. Men and women, I want you to think about this. Listen to this passage in the New Testament. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God was pleased, not because what we had done to earn his pleasure, but, but, but God was pleased because he promised to save a people for himself. In order to save that people, God was pleased to come in the person and the work of his son, the Lord Jesus, to bring that salvation. He chose to bestow his pleasure on us, undeserving as we are. And it was his pleasure to come in the flesh in the person of Jesus because it pleased God to save a people for himself. And do you know what pleases God? What he says pleases him? He says this, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What God wants is not something that we do, but to really trust what he's done in the person and work of Jesus. Dying on the cross to save us from our sins 
What pleases God is for us to come to the end of ourselves and say, help God. I think some of the most precious prayers I've ever prayed are the prayer, help. Most of my prayers, and I'm embarrassed to say this to you, are basically instructions for what I think God should do to fix my life. Do you pray like that? I'm hearing some agreement. I'm hearing some sinful people like me in the room. I like to tell God exactly what needs to happen. And occasionally he brings me completely to the end of myself and I'm like, help. And sometimes it's just weeping. That pleases God. Taking him at his word and resting in Jesus. That's pleasing to God. He loves for us to trust him. And do you know much how much he he loves for us to trust him, even as small as a mustard seed. That pleases God. And then he takes our lives and does more than we could ever ask or, or imagine. And then we have this promise. There's no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Because when we're resting in the promises of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, men and women, we experience the love of God because God so loved us that he sent his one and only son. And then when we begin to experience his love for us, his love for us drives out fear. And then we can walk into circumstances. Because I can tell you this, he calls us simply to do this, to fix our eyes on Jesus and then set our hearts on the promises of God as we walk into even the most difficult circumstances. You know, I have a friend who's 92 years old at the YMCA. And he always tells me, he says, Carter, you know the golden years? That's just a crock of bull. That's what he says to me. You know, it's really funny. And I just laugh. I call him an angel. And he says, that's just a crock of bull. I'm falling apart. And if this life is all we've got hope in, we're to be pitied above all people. Men and women, we'll all, we will all walk into difficult circumstances. Perhaps you're in the midst of them now. And the call is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And set your hearts on the promises of God. And the compassionate and gracious God. He will see you through. He will.